Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Real Talks. I'm your host, David Steele, along with my co-host... Hello, Aura Zen. Just a friendly reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can follow us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Just search Real Talks. That's R-E-E-L Talks. Just like my name, S-T-E-E-L-E. Also, you can follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at WannabeRounder. LinkedIn, and on Instagram at DCaduto. Where can they find you? I'm also on LinkedIn and on Instagram at Eloaurazen, that's E-L-O-A-O-R-A-Z-E-N. Easy to find. Perfect. Just a couple of quick announcements. Our Patreon channel recently just went live. You can find it by typing in Real Talks into the search bar. Let me tell you a little about it. We're offering five different levels that you can support us at. $5, $10, $20, $30 and $40. If you do choose to support us, you'll have the opportunity of earning some great perks, such as earning your name shouted out before every podcast, cool merch, and if you're one of our major contributors, you'll get a one-hour monthly meeting with both of us. For more details, just go to the website. I'll leave the link in the description, which leads me to my next exciting announcement. Beginning in May, the channel will be starting Flashback Fridays about movies from the past. The first film we'll be discussing will be Iron Man. And then we're going to be doing every single MCU movie in chronological order. I can't reiterate enough. Hit that follow button so you know when a new podcast is released. Today's topic is going to be Welcome to the 80s, where we choose a few films from the decade and discuss them. But before we get started, we do have to pause for a quick break. But before we go, I'll give you a hint of my first selection. It was the highest grossing movie of 1981. We'll see you after the break. You've been singing a while, but the same problems keep coming up. Trouble with high notes? Tone you don't like, performance nerves, but you know you can become a better singer. Being a singer, the art, craft, and science includes world-class training, self-assessments, and troubleshooting, along with stories, celebrity interviews, history, and philosophy so you can find your own voice. Being a singer, the art, craft, and science, because you can become a better singer. For more information, visit lindabalero.com slash resources. That's Linda, B-A-L-L-I-R-O dot com. Welcome back. Did you get it? It was Raiders of the Lost Dark. So I'm sure that was one of your classic. I'm sure you've seen that several times over, huh? I've seen it, but it was not one of my selections, for actually. Really? Yeah. So a couple quick tidbits. Everybody knows that this was directed by Steven Spielberg. It was one of his greats. So the screenplay was done by Lawrence Cashton, who did several different Star Wars screenplays along with Raiders, Empire Strikes Back in 1980s, Return of the Jedi in 83, The Force Awakens, the first one of the new trilogy, and then he did Solo. So let me ask you, when was, do you remember the first time you saw Raiders? It wasn't actually when I was young. It wasn't in the 80s. It was a little, because we have to remember that I was born and raised in Brazil and back in the days, yeah. things take a little bit longer to come handy and especially because I was born in 1987 so yeah okay so this was, yeah I was like 13 or 14 I guess when I watched it nice nice 
So this was done by George Lucas and Philip Kaufman. Actually, I did read that this was a story that he had in mind prior to Star Wars, but he couldn't develop because he didn't have anybody else to develop it with. So this was put on the back burner. And Cashin actually was able to iron out some of the inconsistencies. And so they wanted to get an actor that wasn't well known. So that's what Lucas wanted. The studio wanted somebody else. I'm going to read you a couple of names here. See if you actually, it's one of those things, if you could imagine these people playing this. Bill Murray, Nick Nolte, a Steve Martin. These are all people that were in line to play Indiana Jones. Chevy Chase, imagine that. Jack Nicholson, Jeff Bridges, Sam Elliott, and Harry Hamlin. And of course, in 1983, that was when the, one of his big movies, Clash of the Titans, came out. But yeah, can you imagine Chevy Chase's Indiana Jones? <laughs> I don't think anybody could. It's hard to imagine anyone else as Indiana Jones. No, absolutely. And and when Lucas saw what he did in um, Empire, he's like, yeah, I want this guy. So actually, the big name that was going around at the time was Tom Selleck. But at the time, Magnum P.I. was still in a pilot and the network didn't know if they wanted to pick it up or not. Otherwise, they, you might have had Tom Selleck as Indiana Jones. Unbelievable. Of course, John Williams was the big composer, and he's been with Spielberg his whole career, and we talked about the several different films that he's done. And so, actually, George Lucas did contribute another major thing, though, ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, did all these special effects. So that actually, you know, a couple years earlier, did Star Wars, and so further along and it made this is something a little astounding so it made only 8.3 billion in its opening weekend but it was only in a thousand theaters in the united states in 1983 or 1981 rather 1,000 theaters that's crazy to even think about yeah back in the considering we have like five thousand now crazy but it's different numbers right now no no absolutely yeah it's just so i saw harrison ford on sunday really yeah really yeah he was leaving an easter party in in bel-air yeah bel-air brentwood area right here not too far from where i live so that was interesting nice nice probably one of the more underappreciated actors of this 25 or 30 years just because he, he's been in so many movies, but he's not that A-list guy that Tom Cruise, you know what I mean? So anyways, enough about Raiders. Let's have your first selection. My first selection, I think, is a lot of people's favorites. I would hate to say especially girls, but I think so. Dirty Dancing. How can we yes, not? Did you of know course. Dirty Dancing? 1989. Amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. It was the most rented movies on blockbusters throughout the years. So it's a classic. Yeah. We all learn to love it. We all know the songs. And I'm not even a huge musical girl, but I kind of like that one. And I think everyone tries to, to do the dance. Everyone feels like getting on their feet and learning something. You know, we all know the quotes like, Nobody puts baby on a corner and all those things. So 
Yeah. You have yeah. to have that list. Come on. It has to, to be part of it. It's a classic. Yeah. We won't talk about Havana Nights. <laughs> that was one of the, I mean, well, that could be a whole podcast in itself. Sequels that should have never been made. And that would be right. You know, because it was such a huge success. So the first Dirty Dance movie costed, had a $6 million budget. And its profit was close to like $214 million. So it's like. That's a great ROI, return on investment. So they're like, okay, let's do a sequel. They yeah. offered Patrick's Ways $6 million to be. So the whole budget of the first movie would be only his share. But he refused. He's totally against this type of tactic. So he's like, um, yeah. don't. Well, I mean, the only thing I can think of is the first thing and the only thing I can think of off the top of my head is like Silence of the Lambs. So when Silence of the Lambs came out and was a huge hit and it did its thing, they offered Jodie Foster $20 million to come back. And she said no because of scheduling or whatever. But they offered $20 million. She said no. So that just tells you something. But no, yeah, that, that Dirty Dancing has got to be on everybody's list of, like, one of the great ones. And, and what I love the most about it is that I feel like it's a movie that delivers, you know, also Indiana Jones, it delivers the entertainment that we're talking about. Oh, it's a great movie to relax, you know. You, it's you a just, great love story. It's a great love story, and it's fun to watch, and it's, you know, involving... Yeah, absolutely. I like it. It has to be on my list for sure. And my whole family is a huge fan of it. So there nice. you go. My first one. Nice. Patrick Swayze. Next one. What is the next step here? So I went a little bit later in the in the decade. And I think it's it was more, I mean, masterpiece for its time. And I think it still holds up today. And that's Wall Street. 1987, Oliver Stone. This movie just quantifies... Everything. So Oliver Stone actually made this as a tribute to his late father, Lou Stone, who was a stockbroker during the Great Depression. They actually, for the story, and Michael Douglas, and the script was amazing. And, of course, we all know the, the scene, you know, greed is good, for lack of a better word. Greed of life, greed of money, greed of wealth, greed of knowledge, greed of power. You know, so, but that whole sequence that four minute sequence was unbelievable the ups and the downs and it shows you how one person and the whole story is really about greed and if you look at the it's a quintessential movie of the 1980s just because of all the junk bonds and how everybody wanted to be greedy and it just it, it still holds up today and it's you know 25 30 almost 35 years old and it's still unbelievable Gordon Gecko was voted number 24 on AFI's heroes and villains list of all time, of all movies. Of, that was in 2013. And so that just shows you what kind of character he was. And so they actually wanted, the studio actually wanted Warren Beatty to play the role. And he turned it down. And Oliver Stone wanted Richard Gere at the time. And he turned it down. So, but yeah, I think Michael Douglas was a great was a great selection. So, and this only had a $16.5 million budget. Now, you got to remember, it's 1987. And so, I mean, it went on to make $43 million, So, it, it was nearly almost a three and a half, almost a 2.5 million. 
ROI on its um, things. It was just amazing. So I Wall Street, and by the way, we're talking about Charlie Sheen. We're talking about who's one of the youngest guys getting nominated for the Academy Award. Daryl Hannah, who just came up doing Splash. So she was a hot thing at the time. Yeah. Martin Sheen. He started, you know, that was one of the first and I think only films he started with his, with his father. So, yeah. I just, feel like the 80s had such, so many amazing movies. Why do you think oh, that they did. So, is so strong for, for cinema? Well, I think the 80s, I was thinking about this today. The 1980s, if you look back at a lot of films, I would say it was one of the coming-of-age there were so many coming-of-age stories in the 1980s. Whether you're talking about The Breakfast Club, whether you're talking about Stand By Me, whether you're talking about Pretty in Pink, even Return of the Jedi, believe it or not, where you know Luke has to come to the realization that his father is the villain and he has to go fight his father and he has to become a man and he has to man up. But even The Karate Kid... I mean, it's coming-of-age story. And I think it's one of those stories that everybody can relate to. It's not just a story about power or wealth or family. or It's about becoming an adult and what you have to go through, the trials and tribulations sometimes of coming, you know, becoming an adult. And so I think that's why it was so prevalent. I mean, you're always going to have love stories. You know, an officer and gentleman, dirty dancing, things like that. About it, that I think was very, maybe is, I don't know. I was, I asked, so recently I interviewed this man. I'm trying to remember his name. He's a professor. He's an English professor. And he says, he claims about the, it's called the big stagnation. So basically what he's saying is like, we're coming to an age where we don't have great innovations anymore. We think we do because we're like, wow. Look at this amazing technology. And it's like, well, it's not because you're tweaking something that you're creating something. It's not a revolution like the fridge, the laundry machine, right? You can have a better laundry machine. It doesn't mean that it's completely new. It's not because now you, you're not using Quarter, you're using your app. That's not really revolutionary. And so there's two. So I asked if you think it's a cycle, right? Like maybe there has to be a period where you don't have great innovations because you have to adapt to the older ones. And he said we should figure it out within the next few days if it is something that is here to stay. Because one of the options, one of the alternatives that he laid out is that there are two reasons why we're leaving the great stagnation. The first one is because we take so long, we have so much knowledge that for you to get there and move forward, it takes you years and years and years. And it's a lot of money and it's a lot of people, so it's harder to pass that frontier, right? And the second option, and the second alternative is because the fruits that are easy to pick was already picked. So now we have to go higher in the, in the tree to get the ones that are left. So I think the same might be applied to the cinema, I guess, right? Like maybe at that everything was a possibility. I think it's a time where we all, I mean, Dirty Dancing that I've just mentioned, we have to, it's a great love story, but we have to say they talk about abortion. Mm-hmm. 80. We're talking about this again now in America. Yeah. yeah. But talk about it. And they talked about it in a very mature way where it's not like she's debating whether she's going to do an abortion or not. It's settled. She's doing it. It's amazing. 
Yeah, no, it, if films can, and this is one of the questions I asked you when I interviewed you, is what is a film supposed to do? And, you know, and I gave you a couple choices and I said there were no wrong answers and you, and you hit the nail on the head. If you can inform your audience about a subject, a touchy subject at that, people will go, they'll, even if they have their mind made up, they're going to say, well, I never really thought of it from that way. Or I never thought of that particular scenario. You're right. So I think, I mean, there are topics today that are being discussed in film that are done so well that you go, sometimes it goes over your head and, you go, and you're just enjoying the movie. There are other times, and this is where the deeper themes come in, is, okay, how do they translate to everyday life? So that kind of scenario that you were just talking about with an abortion we're still, I mean, we're st- you're right. We're, s- we're still having that debate all these years later. And so, yeah, I mean, if you can do, have a poignant subject and make it, and, and show both sides of the argument, that's the important thing. You don't want to just sit there and rant and rave. If you can show both sides of the argument, you will either do one of three things. One, you're going to convince the people Maybe they go from point the one side to the other. Two, you convince somebody that hadn't seen a point of view before to look at it differently. Or three, they are already a believer and they believe it anyways. So, yeah, no, it, it's a matter of how you can actually do it. And whether it's abortion or greed or whatever it is. And I think getting back to your point about the, the fruits and the tree. When you have, and there are so, only so many stories, 300 stories, when you have to go deeper and deeper and deeper, it's more difficult. It's more difficult to come up with a story and characters because, let's face it, everybody's seen it before. So I think, but yeah, and there really weren't that many, I mean, now that I think about it, there really weren't that many, besides coming-of-age stories, there really weren't that many that hit home. As far as, like, political topics, I mean, yeah, you had your Mississippi burnings and everything else, but even, like, A Time to Kill, that was in the early 90s, and that tackled racism, which we still have today. But, no, so I understand what you're... you're, It was a well-done issue for its time. So, yeah, yeah. Another one that I think was great and is part of my selection is Rain Man. Yes, so... Okay, you know, though we had not spoken prior to this podcast. I want to make that perfectly clear. And I actually, that was actually one of my selections. That was actually going to be my selections. Yeah. Rob Reiner, speaking of a filmmaker, Rob Reiner, his 10, 12 year span that he had between doing Stand By Me in 1985, then he goes to do Rain Man in 1988 which, of course, Dustin Hoffman won an Academy Award for. Then he goes to do, a couple years later, he does A a Few Good Men. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable filmmaker. Rain Man was, I haven't seen it in years. I really should sit down and watch it. It's one of the most poignant, we talk about coming-of-age films and mature films for its time. And we're going to be, just to tease, in a couple weeks before 
Top Gun comes out, we're going to be doing a whole podcast about Tom Cruise movies. And I personally believe, and I don't know, I'd like to get your opinion on this. I personally believe Tom Cruise is one of the best actors when he's doing dramatic roles. Everybody knows him for action. Everybody, whether it's Mission Impossible, Top Gun, whatever. Sci-fi movies, he's terrible in. Oblivion, Edge of Tomorrow, Minority Report, War of the Worlds, forget about it. His best acting is in dramatic roles. The Last Samurai, Born on the Fourth of July, where he gets an Academy Award nomination. Steel Magnolias, unbelievable role. Rain Man. I think he, he was a closet dramatic actor. You know, I mean, but what do you think? I mean, do you th- you've seen a lot of Tom Cruise movies. What do you think as far as his best genre? I think he's a chameleon. I think he can pull things around. Even some of the sci-fi movies, I think he did a good job in general. But I like dramatically speaking, like, yes, I agree. The drama is really, he's really good on that. But I have to say it was, I think, a tiny bit disappointed with Vanilla Sky. Mm-hmm. But also because it's a remake. And I... We tend not to like remakes anyway because we have right, right. Like it's like they've yeah. done it before and they've done it right. So you know, like why are you doing? I think the thing with remakes is you're always, you are always, living up to the last movie. Correct. Right? That's what I. So it's not like you have the, the the creative freedom to create your because if you've seen it before, like in this case, it's like they got a Spanish movie. I you know, I mean. Uh, the most recent one I can think of is, is A Star is Born. I mean, everybody has seen A Star is Born, either the Judy Garland or the Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson or the 19, you know, the the most recent remake with Bradley Cooper and mm-hmm. Lady Gaga. And so it was a different take. The story was always the mainstay. You knew what the story was. It was just a matter of how are they going to put it into play? And with, I mean... Getting back to Star is Born real quick, you just, even from the beginning, what Bradley Cooper did was you saw the decline of one person and you saw the going up of another. Allie was going up when we first meet her. And, you know, she gets on YouTube and it's her star is rising and his star is dropping. And, you know, and there's another movie that really battled, that talked about alcoholism and did it in a way that was poignant. I mean, if you're not choked up or, you know, cringing in the scene where, you know, she goes up to accept the, the Oscar and he's just sloshed on network television, it's just, I mean, you've seen the movie four times, I still can't get through that without turning my head. So, but getting back to your point, remakes are one of those things that the story's already there. You know what it is. It's how it's going to be interpreted. So this Rain Man was just unbelievable. I mean, Barry Levinson won Best Director in 1988 for this. Of course, he went on to... Oscar for that, too, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. Did, right? Yep, he won Best Supporting Actor, his second. You know, Levinson went on to do movies like on Good Morning Vietnam, Bugsy with... Warren Beatty and Annette Bedding, and actually they met on that film, and they're still married today. Wag the Dog in 1997. 
I mean, so he's got, he has that niche or had that niche for the dramatic, but this one was really and hit home. And I think the other thing too is it really brought autism to the forefront for a, a point. I don't think people understand that's a thing. I mean, they do, but it, it so this, this made it uncomfortable. Yeah. And Hoffman played it so well that you were uncomfortable. Well, and you know what is interesting is also because, so they wanted Hoffman's character to be very outgoing and fun and light. And he suggested the opposite. He's like, no, I think he should be, you know, an autistic guy who is shy and reclusive. And they took the, they took his suggestion. So he had a lot of freedom to create that. And I think that's part of why it's so good because he, for a while, at least believe because it's known that both Hoffman and Cruz had questions about the potential of the movie, right? And so much so that I think Hoffman kind of flirted with the idea of dropping the project in the middle of it. And, you yeah. know, anyway, I'm glad I it did. One thing that is very no. pointing out about this movie, it is, I don't, I didn't know that until I was researching for our podcast, but it was the first Hollywood movie that had Hans Zimmer soundtrack. And Hans Zimmer is now like, he just won an Oscar, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, like about weeks ago. His second. Rope, he's so good in what he does. He's amazing. That was his first movie. Look at that. Hollywood yeah. Movie. And that just shows you when you have that kind of crew and you have that kind of cast, you have to bring your A game. And that's, you know, that's what he did. I mean, the, the whole, I think the one scene that people will remember this movie by is the blackjack scene. So let, let, let me backtrack a little. If you don't know the story of Rain Man, it's about this collectibles dealer, Tom Cruise, who is importing these Lamborghinis from overseas, and it gets stopped in the L.A. Uh, port because of the emissions. And so the collectors are about to seize it, and he's going to lose all this money. And so his father dies. He has to go take care of the affairs there, and he's only left with a 1949 Buick Roadster convertible and some rose bushes. But he does realize that there is a $3 million sum of money being left to an unknown person, which is being distributed to a mental institution. Subsequently, he talks to the doctor who says, look, this guy's not fit. Charlie breaks him out, and then they go on this road trip. And throughout the course of the movie, they go on do these all different things, and Charlie has to adapt to Raymond's character, whether it's, you know, not traveling on the interstates or watching the people's court or, you know, whatever it is. And so then then the journey back to Los Angeles, they figure out, oh, maybe I can make some money. So they stop in Vegas, Caesar's Palace. Subsequently, with a little help from his brother, He's able to count cards. They walk out with $86,000. He's able to repay his debts and make up with his girlfriend, who had actually broken up with him. And so he pays off the collectors. They get back to Los Angeles, and the doctor offers them $250,000 to walk away. And he says, no, I just want a relationship with my brother. Blood is thicker than water. That's what it tells me. And it tells me also that you can learn to love somebody regardless of their deficiencies. And that is, it doesn't matter if it's 
family member or not, if it, not love them, but come to respect them. And I think that's so important. So, yeah, I would, you know, I'll, that was one of those great movies in the 1980s. So, since you selected Rain Man, I did have a backup. And that was the 1986 movies Aliens with Gordon Weaver. This was a sequel that really did a lot of business because Alien was so popular back in 1979. Ridley Scott's masterpiece, as far as I'm concerned, Alien. It's, that thing still scares the daylights out of me. <laughs> but, so Aliens was... The reason why it was so good, it wasn't because of the monsters or the the magic or anything or the guns or anything like that. You saw the, the mother, the maternal bond between Ripley and Newt and how this child had been stuck on this ship for five, six years not knowing if they were, if she was ever going to get home. And on comes this crew with this woman. And Ripley then essentially takes her as her daughter. And then, of course, you know, you have the big climatic scene when at the end, near, near the end at least, and, you know, get away from her, you You know, because Ripley has grown to care for this child. And I think that that was one of those films in the 1980s, and you didn't see a lot of them, that had a strong female lead. That's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, I'm sure there were others. But that was really the only one I could think of off the top of my head that had a strong female lead. And it did well for its time. And so, yeah, Aliens. Mine? Great movie. One is Goonies. The Goonies is such a classic. Of course. Good. Of course. Yeah. I think. And it was hit all over the world, and yeah. it's easy to like it, right? It's, like, it's about friendship and some adventures and, you know, persistence and a little bit of magic, I guess. And, uh, yeah, it, it's no, there's no way I can I, to talk about Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about Robert Zemeckis, how do you leave out Back to the Future? I mean, I mean, so, and this is why it was so difficult for us to choose only two or three. I mean, yeah. we're just naming these off the top of our heads, but... That just shows you how great the 80s was because you had everything from action adventure to sci-fi to drama to horror. I mean, and we're not even talking about some of the great slasher flicks like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know. Actually, so here's a little funny story. Wes Craven, when he came up with that was actually Johnny Depp's Debut in that scene in the waterbed. So, but quick story about Nightmare on Elm Street is that Wes Craven was trying to come up with a villain that everybody would be scared about. And so, subsequently, they're all the crew's eating pizza one night and they said, hmm, what if we have a, like a pepperoni pizza type of face? And of course, that's how. And so they came up with, and they went through all these designs of gloves and everything else. And that's how you got the glove that was going against the the pipes in the sewer. And then, you know, the, the face and, you know, he eats the souls to give him power. I mean, that spawned four or five different movies. The remake was terrible. But, yeah, as always. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's just one of those things. But the slasher flicks were unbelievable. You know, so it's 
I mean, the 80s were a great, great time to be a movie fan. And I think that, you know, it's definitely one of those things where if you haven't seen some of these movies, go out and, and check them out. So what would you say, if you had to recommend, I know it's going to be tough, if you have, if you were put on the spot and said you could only watch 180s movies and had to give a recommendation to our listeners, give us 180s movies. Maybe it's something that nobody's heard of. No, I actually would definitely choose one of the three that I just said. I think, I don't know. It depends. I would say, like, when are you going to watch it? Do you want to? Yeah. You want to something to think about it? Something to you know light up the mood? Something you can just go to bed and feel great? It's just like it's different. So. I think there's no way they can go wrong with the movies that we actually brought up here. So Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, any anything that we brought up or anything from the 80s, it's just nostalgia. I mean, like weird science or, you know, something like that. But I am going to recommend something. It's not a movie per se, but it does have movie qualities to it. And I recently just got it at a discounted price. And that's Masterclass. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but or if our listeners have heard of it. But go check this out. It's and, I'm, and by the way, I, I'm not I'm not sponsored by Masterclass or anything. I'm saying this because it is one of the best things that I've ever seen. No, oh, it's amazing. It's and learn from the absolute best of the best. And so I just sat down since we were t- funny. We were watch. I was list- talking about. Martin Scorsese the other night. So he does a whole master class. And so some of the things behind, like Raging Bull and Casino and everything else. But there's another one like, for acting. Yeah, there's so many. Yeah, there's so yeah. many. Great. Great. And, and Jodie Foster and Natalie Portman and Martin Scorsese. And it's, on, and it's not just movies. It's just, you know, there's over 80 or 90 of them. So it doesn't matter what you're into, whether it's cooking or fashion, or movies, or, you know, sports. It has it all. Yeah. So I would say if you're going to go get something and it's worthwhile, get Masterclass. Because you, honestly, these are from the masters themselves. And you can't go wrong. I mean, Peter Voss, you know, for negotiating, being able to talk about you know lifestyle. Oh yeah, like masterclass is over now. Five years. Yeah, and it just keeps. I mean, I know Mariah Carey just is just started her own masterclass on there, and it's continuing to grow. And you're having more and more of these people come on, and you can't go wrong with it. I I love it, and I'm only through half of one. I can't sit, can't wait to sit down and watch some of the other ones. So. Definitely. You go, get, you go watch some more then. Yeah, so sit down and watch uh, Masterclass. But, okay, so, yeah. that. So if this does well, if we are hitting a note, maybe in a couple of weeks we come back and do Welcome to the 90s. I think that would be a blast. I know. I mean, just we, we were just sitting here talking about 80s movies like they're nothing. But I think 90s, and 90s was a completely different generation, though. A different generation and a different... Like the 80s, like I said, were a coming of age story. The 90s were a little more technological. Social media started to come into play and, you know, mm-hmm. everything else. That was a whole different one. We'll, we'll see, though, in a couple of weeks. Coming up in a couple of weeks, though, 
we are going to be having our Doctor Strange 2 preview show and spoiler cast. So stay tuned for those. And I'm telling you right now, people, if you haven't hit that follow button, hit it now. Because we're going to be doing every single MCU movie in chronological order. I was thinking about this walking home today. Iron Man has been out 15 years. <laughs> that just shows you something. How time flies when we're all having fun. Okay, so until next week, I'm David Steele. I'm Elo Aurazen. All right, and you've been listening to Real Talks. <laughs>